Hello and welcome to the MGMA Business Solutions Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor at MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. This episode of the MGMA Business Solutions Podcast features three regional VPs from Jackson Physician Search. We have Helen Faulkner. She serves as Regional Vice President of Recruiting by leading JPS's growing Denver office. Tara Osik. She's an MHA and is Regional Vice President of Recruiting, having been previously named one of St. Louis's top 30 under 30 by the St. Louis Business Journal. And finally, we have Neil Walters. He's also Regional Vice President of Recruiting, and he serves as a mentor to a growing team of JPS recruiters. All three were recently featured in the MGMA webinar titled Building Better Recruitment and Retention Strategies for Early Career Physicians. So Neil, Tara, Helen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Daniel. Thanks, Thanks, Daniel. Daniel. All right. Yeah, we just all met in a webinar just a couple of days ago, along with Tony Stadahar from JPS as well. And that was a lot of fun. So we're just going to follow up on some of the research and other things that y'all have been doing there. So Tara, I do want to start with you then. Um, first of all, what strategies does the data from this um, this research paper, what does it suggest are most promising for improving recruitment as well as long-term retention of those early career physicians? Yeah, the data tells us that new physicians are ranking compensation, location, and work-life balance as the top three factors that they look for in their first job out of training. Um, The survey data also found that their sentiment starts to shift pretty substantially um, sometimes from securing their first job uh, into making the decision whether to stay or leave a couple years into practice. Um, Higher comp and geographic preference at that point become less of a factor, and we see culture and environment start to become much more prominent, um, is is what the survey data tells us. I think it's pretty clear as to why compensation and location are main drivers for brand new physicians. Most have a familiarity with where they grew up or proximity to family, where they trained, And also, since most physicians are graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical school debt in a time where inflation and cost of living is higher than ever, money absolutely matters. Um, We're also in a time where compensation information is so accessible to them online, they know their worth, so to speak. So I think that when compensation and location are the main drivers in a new or early career physician's decision, it gives a really short-sighted assessment of that position for them. It fails to consider what I think are the most crucial elements of job satisfaction, and that will be what keeps them there. Um, And there are several different factors or strategies that you can implement to improve your recruitment, sign the right providers, and increase your odds of retaining them. Um, At a high level, I think it's important to find out what drives these candidates and what their career aspirations are. It might be teaching or community outreach or leadership, but determine what your practice can offer and what that pathway looks like and revisit that often. Um, Second, I think it's important to customize what you can. One size never fits all in physician recruitment. Work-life balance is increasingly important for early career physicians, but that means something different to each of them. 
Um, if you offer a partnership track, be transparent, at least at a high level during the interview process. Physicians need to understand the short and long-term benefits and expectations of them. And um, I think one of the most effective strategies for improving recruitment and retention that I've seen in my 15 plus years of, of recruitment is establishing a mentorship program for new hires, partnering them with an established physician, which they hopefully get to meet for the very first time during the interview process and um, help them have a partner to navigate the new organization, the community, someone to help them network, someone to help them navigate work challenges, and check in regularly to assess how the family's doing in their new home. I think that's one of the most effective strategies any organization can implement. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Now, I want to turn to Helen for the next question. And this is one that MGMA and uh, Jackson have gone over in other research papers as well, but um, it's closing those gaps, those gaps that maybe the administrators have versus what the physicians have. So how can organizations and those administrators better understand the physician side of things? Because, you know, we've seen those in those studies where there are some differences of opinion. So help us with that, Helen. Yeah. So Daniel, to your point, we've, we've gone over this and over this and continue to go over it. And I think we, we will continue into the future because it's, it's so important and it's so prevalent. I mean, the, the disconnect that exists between physicians and administrators is not unique to any one organization in the more than a decade that I've been doing this. I've encountered physicians and administrators too many to count that are feeling misunderstood by the other provider, you know, feeling like the other side doesn't understand the pressures or the challenges that they might face. And the disconnect typically is a result of an absence of, or a breakdown of communication between both parties. And I don't care whether you're in medicine or out of medicine, good communication built on trust and transparency is really the key to, to every good relationship. So, you know, I think administrators have to understand that today's physicians have more employment options and are less loyal than previous generations. And it's really important for administrators to place a greater importance on forming a partnership with their providers. Uh, they have to understand and really embrace the priorities of their physicians. And they can do this by creating a culture of communication, trust, and transparency. And those things, as we are studies have shown time and time again, do lead to enhanced retention and enhanced recruitment. You know, I talk a lot about my longtime client that I've had in North Carolina. They're a community hospital and they don't just excel at recruitment, but they excel at retention. And, and one of the key contributors to their success is the emphasis that they place on their organization being clinically led. And there's a lot of organizations out there that, that say that, but this particular system, they truly are. And they have initiatives in place to develop their physician leaders with the goal of increasing the number of 
physicians in leadership. This same organization conducts physician engagement surveys a couple times a year. So in addition to proactively seeking out input from their providers, they have embraced this dyad model of leadership and their organization as a result continues to be very much physician led. And this has been a huge differentiator and a competitive advantage, quite honestly, uh, against the other competitors in their market. So, you know, to go back to what what Tara has just addressed and what the findings of our white paper are is, is that, you know, physicians are looking for compensation benefits and work-life balance. And this is, was not surprising to, to me, uh, really to any of us, because this is what we hear in our daily conversations with providers. But what's notable is that following closely to these uh, priorities are considerations of culture, work environment, and then organizational ownership and direction. Uh, what was what was a bit surprising or is notable is that organizations who scored highly on ownership and governance also ranked very high in compensation benefits and flexibility in work-life balance. So there is really a, a strong correlation there. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. So uh, I want to turn to Neil for the next question. It's another disconnect. This isn't a negative interview here. We're just trying to <laughs> pinpoint some of the things that are going on and where some of those gaps are and where uh, this research and the work that uh, Jackson does can help alleviate some of those issues. So, um, Neil, I want to ask you uh, about perceptions. And this is about how uh, administrators often perceive organizational repu reputation is important to physicians, but the data is clearly showing that it ranks much lower than they think so. So why do you think that's a disconnect? Uh, this comes up a lot and it, it is a big disconnect as you can see in the, the findings of the white paper. But you know, when you, when you think about an, an organization, a CEO, anybody who's in an administrative level who's gonna be involved in recruitment, they feel very strongly about their brand. They feel very strongly about their reputation and what they represent so much. They've stayed working there likely for many, many years. Uh, they're very proud of it, and they, they a lot of times think that recruitment can be based on that. Um, where the disconnect mainly lies is as they're conducting a national search, these candidates may or may not be familiar with who their brand is, what their reputation is. So outside of anything that they're looking at online or any other uh, feedback that they're getting through from various sources across the board, um, it's being talked about what the reputation is, but what we see that candidates really want is they want to experience what that reputation is, what that brand is. A lot of times that translates into what the culture of the organization is going to be like when they join that organization. So um, rather than leading with, you should join us because we are this organization, uh, it's more so you should join us with describing factors of what that means. You know, what, what are those things that make up who they are, what their brand is, what their reputation, and it, this is how we're going to prove it to you. This is how we're going to be different in an employed setting, in, you know, a, a partnership setting, whatever that it may be, this is how it's different and not just leaving it at the brand or this is our reputation. Yeah. Want to follow up, switch gears a little bit, but it's about burnout. So we've been talking about retention. So Neil, staying with you for this one, what role 
does burnout play in retention? How can organizations uh, address physician well-being needs? I mean, what are some of the tools there? Yeah, I think it starts at the very beginning and making sure candidates that are coming in, whether new residents, fellows, experienced physicians or surgeons coming into an organization, that it's an ongoing open communication. You know, you're you're going to hear this word a lot, communication, active communication, transparency, where no one feels like they can't communicate with the other side. You know, a lot, a lot of times a physician or a surgeon may not feel that they can communicate. They're getting burned out for the fear of they might lose their job. You know, they might not have career advancement opportunities. Just making sure on the front end that this is a safe space. We want you to be happy. We want you to be mentally healthy. And I think that's a big piece too, is the mental health of providers. You know, we, it's not focused on enough, but it, there's been a big spotlight on that. And that's super important to make sure that they take the time to be mentally healthy so they can be able to help their patients in turn on the other side. Um, the, the, the burnout can be alleviated if it's hit earlier on just to figure out how, how can we fix this? Could it be a better work-life balance? Can we scale back your patient volume? Could we go from a five-day work week to a four-day work week? Yeah, this is what that looks like from a compensation standpoint. Open conversations that don't have to be combative and nobody needs to be fearful of those conversations if, it's, if you set the stage earlier on that this is going to be okay. Let's, let's stay in close connection and make sure that you're living your best life so you can provide uh, the best patient care for your patients. That's awesome. All right. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Tara, I want to come back to you. Uh, this paper does look, takes a deep dive looking at uh, some of the behaviors and decision-making of those early career physicians. So when you looked at that, what were the governance or ownership models that really resonated with those early career physicians? To me, governments and ownership models tend to resonate more with physicians based on their specialty rather than their stage of career. For example, urology, orthopedic surgery, um, ENT tend to have a, a private practice draw for candidates, but the vast majority of primary care physicians that we speak with want to be hospital employed. Uh, broadly speaking, I think hospital-employed positions are most comfortable for new grads and early career physicians, oftentimes because they offer the most robust compensation or recruitment incentive packages, which often include student loan forgiveness. They may have a greater feeling of organizational stability, a lot of times more access to robust specialty support or resources. Candidates that we speak with say that the risk tends to feel lowest in that setting. It feels familiar for many of them based on their residency or fellowship programs. But when a physician has a few years of practice experience and is working autonomously in a clinical sense, I tend to see them becoming more vocal about the administrative and business aspects of their practice, what they like and don't like, in other words. And many physicians three to 10 years out of training start to express frustration at the lack of administrative support, uh, top-down management, or sometimes being told outright how to practice medicine. And that is usually the catalyst for practice change um, to private practice, physician groups, or other governance models where they can have a, a bigger voice and a vote in how they're practicing medicine. I also thought it was interesting. I was reading recently that the AMA published their biennial analysis of physician practice arrangements. 
And between 2012 and 2022, the share of physicians who work in private practices fell 13%. And they cited primarily that was due to economic, administrative, and regulatory burdens that have, have driven that shift. Um, I think there's plenty of room for all practice models to coexist and to successfully recruit, but it's important to understand the data and the drivers behind these shifts and understand how it might impact your total candidate pool and the type of recruitment incentive that you may need to offer to attract and retain the right candidate for your practice. And this tends to be pretty significant um, in those you know, newer graduates and early career physicians. Okay. I'm going to follow up with some of what you were saying there in just a minute, uh, Tara, but I want to ask Neil a question. Um, I remember, I was just thinking back, I started at MGMA in 2018, and one of the very first podcast interviews I had, uh, the person I was interviewing said, you know, that statement we hear a lot in medical practices when asked, why do you do something this way? And it's because we've always done it this way. And it's like, whether it's right or wrong, this is the way we're doing it. So I want to talk to you about recruitment and retention strategies. I have a 19 year old and I would not be recruited the same way she would and so on. And so as we see these new generations continue to enter the workforce, um, what are the strategies we need to have? How do those current strategies need to evolve? Yeah, great question, Daniel. It's you know, it's not a one size fits all. You know, there's still, regardless of generational uh, sets, it's something that you, know, you still have your different personality types, different drivers, different aspirations, and as Tara mentioned, different specialties that may drive somebody closer into a private practice model, more of an entrepreneurial spirit, or somebody who wants to be in an employed setting. Um, it, you know, the approach of the the recruitment strategy is giving them insights into everything and opening up your candidate parameters as well. You know, we hear all too many times, we really want somebody with ties to this area. And that that's a great aspiration, but that best physician, that best surgeon might not have ties to your area. And to be able to really cast a wide net and find the best provider who's going to be the best fit into your community for the long term. Um, that's on the recruitment side of things. For the, the retention piece, it it starts in the recruitment process. You know, you're really, throughout the recruitment process, you're showing a candidate your sense of urgency, your attention to detail, your timeliness, and how your business operations function. That's a direct insight and introspect into how your organization is run. And if they're going to join your organization, how they're going to be part of that. And, you know, when, when things move really, really slow or, you know, there's a lot of disconnects or inconsistencies that can play a big role in the back of a candidate's head. Oh, wow, this might not be the best fit for me. So it starts very early on. It goes throughout the entire recruitment process all the way through onboarding and then continual uh, making sure things like having them set up with a mentor within the organization, making sure that if they have issues or problems, they know who to go to. You know, they know how to get those resolved. Just because you've completed medical school, residency, and or fellowship, you don't have to have the answers to all the questions. You know, there's so much school and so much training that go into this. We have to remember if it's a new resident or fellow, this is their first job technically they've ever had. And it's something that they don't have to have the answers to all the questions, making sure they know a career pathway, and that's going to help in the long term. Yeah. Okay. 
thanks for sharing that. Now, Tara, I want to go back to something you were talking about, how specialties can create some differences there. Um, want to look at it a different way, uh, academic versus community settings. So what are some of the differences then in keeping uh, physicians engaged long-term at those two different settings? This is a great question. Um, engaging physicians long-term in academic versus community settings and I think that this principle can be applied to really any practice setting for that matter. It just needs to be customized. It involves understanding a physician or provider's unique motivations and needs in that specific environment. And what I mean by that, in academic settings, for example, those strategies could include research opportunities, teaching and mentorship, uh, professional development, helping that provider find and, and define their ideal balance of clinical and teaching a research time, which in and of itself can evolve over time. Um, in a community setting, it might focus more on work-life balance, patient-centered care, um, a focus on continuity of care or community engagement. Uh, both types of settings, I think, obviously benefit from supportive leadership. And what I hear directly from physicians is that the biggest missing link to achieving that supportive leadership, and Neil hit the nail on the head with this uh, earlier, is that open two-way communication and support, addressing concerns, having it be a safe and non-confrontational environment to have the conversations, and providing guidance. Um, I think another big thing is uh, financial incentive. Competitive salaries, bonuses, and incentives aligned with both individual and organizational goals is crucially important when you're thinking about long-term engagement and retention. Um, something else we're starting to see increasingly utilized in both types of settings is wellness programs. Um, it could be stress management, counseling, mental health, you know, PTO, all designed and aimed at mitigating the high levels of physician burnout that this industry is facing. And um, it's been mentioned a couple of times already today, but mentorship. Mentorship programs in either setting are very helpful and influential in keeping physicians engaged for the long term. I think ultimately it boils down to understanding the unique drivers of engagement for physicians in either setting. And while there are definitely common themes based on academic versus community, really the drivers are gonna be unique to each physician. So if you want to recruit and retain your providers and keep them engaged long-term, the providers have to feel valued, fulfilled, and really highly motivated to continue contributing their best. Okay. It is clear that we're gonna to have to have a follow-up podcast on mentorship. So uh, I'm, I'm taking some notes, mental notes right now. Um, so I have two more questions before we sign off today on this topic. Helen, I want to come back to you. Um, I think it's something Tara was just mentioning about offering support. So let's talk about that. Let's drill down even more about what that support looks like for uh, early career physicians throughout that career progression. Um, talk about that. Yeah, so I hope that the folks listening to this podcast uh, will take to heart the importance of open two-way communication. Uh, that has obviously been a been a theme here, and I'm, Tara, Neil, and I all, you know, we we see it in in our everyday lives as managers ourselves, and it's so important not just in medicine but outside of medicine as well. So 
the best way that I can answer this question is really looking more globally at best practices in management, whether that's in the healthcare field or outside of healthcare. And in my opinion, it starts with regular check-ins and feedback sessions to really understand how you as an administrator or leader can best support your providers on the pain points that they're experiencing and, you know, perhaps understand maybe they're interested in further professional development and how you can support that. And these conversations shouldn't start six months in, 12 months in, they should start from really from when that provider is being recruited to understand what are their professional motivations. And, and maybe it's just, just that they, they want to be a clinician, but it could be that they want to eventually grow into a physician leader role. So it's important to start these discussions early to identify future opportunities for professional growth so that you can start working with your providers on career planning. To Tara's earlier points about mentorship, Structured peer-to-peer mentorship programs are powerful resources for not just your early career providers, but for your senior providers. In fact, we did a, our rural white paper hits on the generational differences. And one of the uh, motivators for physicians in that uh, mid-career, uh, what is that, Gen is it Gen X, the Gen X uh, providers? Gen X, yeah. yeah, Gen X is the opportunity for leadership and, and really doing more than just being a clinician. So I think this is a great way to empower and to tap into the knowledge base of your more senior providers. And then also looking at providing leadership and uh, training development opportunities. You know, physicians from very early on are leaders, they're teachers, but the majority receive no ongoing leadership development. And so often physicians are put into leadership roles who may not be equipped to lead. And the best way to fix this is to offer professional or leadership development opportunities focused, of course, on hard skills, but also on the soft skills. So including communication, how to manage a team effectively, emotional intelligence, uh, and whether your physician moves into a leadership role or not, these are great skills that will complicate that complement an already robust clinical expertise uh, in your providers. Okay. One final question, and I want to hear from all three of you. Helen, I'll start with you though, but how will changing payment models and technology impact factors that motivate physicians in the future? It's a really easy question, so I'm sure, you know, <laughs> but I think this is why we want to hear all three of you uh, discuss this one, but what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So to start with AI, we have seen already a lot of healthcare organizations that are leveraging AI. Uh, my understanding, and, and I'm not in the weeds on this, I'm by no means an expert, but is that a lot of the, uh, the power of AI in healthcare is with documentation and perhaps even in some cases making recommendations uh, based yeah. on you know, notes that have already been populated into the EHR. For, in my opinion, I think AI will be a powerful tool if used appropriately for documentation to really help alleviate a lot of the burnout that we're seeing in physicians related to the documentation requirements. Uh, if it's all able to be taken care of in AI, 
to me, that is a huge time saver and would significantly decrease. I, a physician told me once the pajama time that yeah. providers are spending on all of the, the, the patient documentation, um, looking at the payment models, when I look at that, when I, to, to answer that, I look at, you know, we're moving from, in a lot of cases, fee for service towards more of a value-based care. So that will be driving physicians towards being more focused on the quality of the care that's being provided versus the number of patients seen. In lots, in conversations with early career physicians, more often than not, providers are looking for environments where they can see less patients so that they can provide that higher quality of care. So I think we're already seeing a move towards this. Um, but again, I think with, in terms of payment models, you're going to be seeing physicians being more focused on quality versus quantity. And then with AI, I think that's only going to positively affect a physician's um, ability to be more productive. Mm -hmm. Okay. Neil, what, what do you want to share on this final topic? Uh, I, I think the AI piece is very interesting. I'll kind of piggyback on that from Helen, but I think, you know, since the invention of electronic medical records, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with a, a physician who said they love electronic medical records, you know, so <laughs> it, it, it's been, it's been a good thing and, it, and it's, and it's connected organizations, hospitals, groups, clinics, if they're on the same system, but again, that integration can get better. Uh, this AI piece, what they don't like is the data entry, you know, and, and you, you hear the analogy, you know, going into the room and when the, the physician used to be able to look at the patient, their head's buried into a laptop. That's not, that's not what they want. They want to have that personal experience and anything that we can do to give more of that back to them. Uh, I almost view it as what a concierge medicine practice is, you know, today, a lot of, you know, primary care physicians transition into concierge medicine because they don't like the high volume. They don't like the impersonalization of super high patient volume per day. They want to be able to spend time with their patients, get to know them, get to know their families. So I think this AI um, entry point and continued development integrating, you know, with the software and in healthcare is going to give them that time back eventually uh, and allow them to be able to spend more time and go back to what medicine used to be. And I think a lot of people reminisce about. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Tara, you get the final thought here. What do you want to share with us? I don't know how many uh, more nuggets of wisdom I have to, <laughs> to follow up Helen and Neil, but um, I echo from a, from a, a payment standpoint, um, what Helen stated about moving away from fee-for-service toward value-based care. Many organizations are already offering um, a, a hybrid payment model as they're trying to inch more towards value-based care. It's just a whole different mindset and, and set of performance expectations for physicians that have been used to operating on a fee-for-service model. So in fact, I was just on a, a call with a Midwest health system yesterday, learning about their hybrid model that's trying to move towards, you know, true value-based care, but, you know, incentivizing still for productivity, but also patient satisfaction and outcomes and meeting those quality metrics is really driving uh, the provider's focus on preventive care and better patient engagement, which I think is significant. And as, as Neil and Helen both said, you know, 
pain points that we hear so often from physicians are, you know, they're, they're tired of feeling like a cog in the wheel. They're just a number, you know, to their employer and they feel pressure to just churn through patients instead of practicing in a way that they envisioned when they chose this field in the first place. So I think that that's, that's significant. Um, I think team-based care models are another, you know, factor that really encourage physicians to work more collaboratively and share that patient responsibility. Um, from a technology perspective, I think AI is, you know, is the big buzzword right now. Um, telemedicine, of course, has been around for a while and it's been significant, but I also understand that can be very specialty specific and there are reimbursement considerations that may impact how much telemedicine can be offered, but it certainly motivates physicians and their ability to be able to reach more patients and improve access you know, to healthcare, but it also offers providers a lifestyle enhance enhancement um, for them personally if they're able to incorporate telemedicine. Um, so I don't know. In a nutshell, I definitely, you know, predict that future payment models and technology are going to continue to pivot physician motivations more towards quality outcomes and, and satisfaction than ever before. And if you can lean into that and adapt to those new models, um, I think that you will find great balance. And um, I'm excited to see the, the shift that we, we see in physicians and the delivery of healthcare with some of these changes. All right. Well, Tara, Neil, Helen, thanks for joining us on the MGMA Business Solutions Podcast. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Business Solutions Podcast. Once again, thanks to Helen Faulkner, Tara Osik, and Neil Walters, all are regional vice presidents of recruiting at Jackson Physician Search. And as mentioned previously, please look in the episode show notes. Uh, we will have a direct link to the Building Better Recruitment and Retention Strategies for Early Career Physicians webinar. We'll also provide a direct link to the research paper that our guests have been discussing. Thanks again to you for listening to the MGMA Podcast Network. Most physicians don't have the opportunity to learn the business of medicine. What docs don't get taught, Physician Business Training is a course developed by MGMA and administrators from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. This interactive course provides in-depth physician business training that can drive personal and organizational success. Purchase now for yourself or your organization at physicianbusinesstraining.com and earn eight hours of CME credit. Again, go to physicianbusinesstraining.com to purchase and to learn more.